welcome to the Peter Represents podcast series. In 2021, we worked with local residents and organisations in Millfield to restore a much-loved mural on Link Road, which is on the gable end of a house. The mural was originally painted in 1982 by Francis Gomela, who at the time was the city's town artist, um, but now he is a full-time practising artist living in Greece. The restoration was completed by a group of Peterborough-based artists led by Street Arts Hire, Nathan Murdoch, Stuart Payne, Amanda Rigby, Tony Nero, Jason Duckmanton, and Katie Scott. Due to the pandemic and various other different timelines and working lives, the artists weren't actually able to come together and meet in person during the restoration process. Everything was done through email, WhatsApp, Zoom, but there wasn't an opportunity for the artists to come together face to face. But in 2023, we finally brought all the artists together and this podcast documents their conversation. In the conversation, they talk about the original painting of the mural, the restoration process, and also what the mural means to local communities and the importance of street art in the local area. Okay, so um, first question that I kind of thought would be good is to start from the basics um from you Francis and talking about how the mural came about in the first place and maybe if you can remember what life was like in the 1980s in that area too <laughs> from the basics yeah very, very basic uh the whole story is actually up there <laughs> um I was working as the town artist for Peterborough Development Corporation and I was approached by Roger Brooks and asked me I think this was a new road I think they made this to stop people from just driving these straight roads as a, to calm the traffic. So I think they must have cut, I guess, the, the, the houses there to make this. So the gable end was fairly pristine. And he asked me, because I've been working for a few years already with the development corporation and I had done quite a few arts, public art projects, if I would design a mural for, for the area. And I jumped at the chance because I was mostly working on new projects and it, it was fascinating this area of the city was always like a biggest challenge. It was the, it was the most diverse. There was a big commun- um, adventure playground behind here called Hobson's, I believe. Um, very uh, energetic place. I used to come shopping to the shops in Cromwell Road and get all kinds of junk there and things like that. So anyhow, the design came about very simple in terms of doing this I- mirror image of the street. So it's actually, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I just came and I thought, somehow I just thought it would be nice to do a mirror image and show a different kind of time, a different thing. And because when, when you talk to people about art in public, people just want to brighten up the street. That's what they say. You know, you ask people what they want. They say, you know, rainbow, butterflies, you know, it's colorful. And I thought, you know, there should be a rainbow. I should do a mural with a rainbow. Uh, but this time the rainbow is, maybe the rainbow is real, but when it hits the mural, it kind of, flowers start coming out of the, the pavement. It's a bit trippy, isn't it? And all, this, and all these kids and people come to see what's happening. And of course, children are the ones that believe in this kind of magic, mostly the adults and represented by the one that's walking away on the left is actually totally fictional. I think I've got him from some, some other place. And of course, to begin with, to get uh, kids to pose for, for the mural was actually 
just starting it. And as you artists also know, when you start doing a, a work in, on the street, people just think you're a painter decorator. But the minute there is a drawing and a bit of color, people start coming to you and say, what are you doing? Um, and it didn't take long for kids to come and, and talk to us. I just met one of the kids that there is, look at this kid, <laughs> but he's not in the mural. I, you had a chance, you told <laughs> I asked him, I asked him apparently, and he, he said, no, See, maybe we should, we should add you now. And um, so the, the kids came slowly one by one, then Stan the barber, who the barber shop is still there, but it's called now Sleek or something, Style, instead of Stan. I think he was from po Poland, Stan. And he came out many times and uh, I photographed him. And as you can see, the, 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 his shirt is actually f uh, flapping in the wind and his belly is exposed. And he didn't like that. He said, you know, I, I, can you just... <laughs> and I said, look, this is the photograph. You know, it's like reality. It's like, so he accepted it. But one thing is you have forgotten, Stan had a little moustache. We have to do something about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the mirror was like, I took the same as you, you took, maybe three months on that north-facing wall. Maybe in April, it was bloody cold. There was some kind of alcoholics living there who had fights, if not with us, with the characters in the mural. <laughs> they would be like at night shouting. It was quite a lively place. And of course, the cars passing by, people passing by. The apple, which is at the, the feet of Stan, which I saw today, actually was donated by, I think, the lady that's... Uh, Doris, I think her name was. So everyone is kind of like a real character. And in a way, it added a tremendous kind of belonging somehow, which I think is what made the mural maybe so mythological. Because when I was first asked and told that they were thinking of restoring it, I thought, why don't you just paint another one, really? You know. And I realized when I came and talked to uh, people like Kit and, and people in the community, that it had become something that it was irreplaceable. And if you did something different, people go, oh, the other one was better or whatever. And I'm really glad that it somehow developed into this fantastic repainting of it um, by this wonderful artist. You know, you should come and work for me full time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it on the podcast now. We've got to hold you to that. Um, for you lot growing up, what was your connection to the mural? Did you have any or was it something that you found out about through getting involved in this project? For me, it was it was the first piece of street art I ever see. So my dad lived in Hankey Street, Russell Street, spent a bit of time visiting people on Gladstone Street. So I've done street art with spray cans for 23 years this year. And that was the first piece of art I ever see in the street before knowing where I'd be right now. So, yeah, so it was surreal to come back. And uh, yeah, that was for me kind of where everything started. So yeah. Amazing. Tony, what about you? For me, um, the first time I saw it was really when it was in the DK stage because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't in Peterborough until in 2000. So I didn't see it until, until when really um, I heard about the project and stuff like that. That was the first time I actually saw it. Mm. Jason? Yeah, same for me, really. I, <clears throat> I came to Peterborough in 2012, so I didn't grow up in Peterborough, but um, it was when we first heard about the restoration job, and then we, we didn't realise that 
there were these amazing pieces of artwork and the other one that isn't here anymore as well we were looking at the old photos of that <clears throat> just blown away by the quality of it and just we knew that it needed to be restored because it was just such an iconic thing when we saw the old photos and hearing the stories about from the locals well how much they meant to them but yeah that was my first time seeing it yeah the original photos were when we when they first came into the office and mm. we were looking at them jason and i worked together it was yeah it was one of those projects that makes you oh my gosh because i've lived in Millfield for years, but I'd never clocked it. Um, or maybe I hadn't noticed it because it was in such a state of disrepair, or perhaps I just hadn't imagined what it would have looked like um, because the photos of it as an original piece are just so different from how it was prior to when we started it. Yeah, it was so faded, like you couldn't really make it out at that stage. Like seeing the photos, you wouldn't be able to tell like a lot of that was there. A lot of the amazing details, like the saying about the rainbow and dripping into the into the pavement and things like that are just all gone so there's no we, we were revisiting it through the old photos and just seeing how much so was there before yeah sure yeah it was um because it was so faded and um, when we first, when we saw it before the restoration we didn't realize how much detail and amazing work was in the in the image um so i think that's probably why you didn't notice it before it was just weathered and there was a lot of cracks and the plaster kind of come off in large chunks as well. So, yeah. And that was the most difficult bit about the restoration really was working out what was there before. I think we were, we were thinking that we'd have to kind of project it or scan it out to realise where the pieces of the puzzle go together. But then after it was cleaned and washed away, we managed to find some of the artwork kind of came back through. It was like the... The layer of dirt that was on there before washed away and you can you could make out a lot of the lines from there so it ended up being a lot easier to restore than we, we were kind of fearing at the start yeah that was interesting the fact that there were still some pencil lines on the wall that was really really amazing didn't expect to see that at all yeah yeah, yeah the original pencil some of it was probably a carbon paper because the figures were transferred from uh, transparent paper and kind of like classified drafting paper so I kind of moved them around and decided, you know, where the, the best place was for them and then did a kind of a kind of Michelangelo with a carbon typewriter carbon paper behind to transfer them. That was a kind of and I think it's actually quite difficult to paint over it because I was using very light uh, watery paint. You know, I was actually painting very light on the on the thing. One of the things we found as well that um, some of the some of the lines were different to some of the images that we were actually looking at to reproduce, so that was a bit difficult as well. Like it was like, which image is the actual real one? Yeah, yeah. so it's it in restoration. You yeah, know, like, you know, kind of washed it back to a previous <laughs> layer on some of the sections, yeah. didn't it? So it like like the first drawing almost. So it was like trying to bridge the gap between the old version and what was actually painted, like yeah. the final version. It's a bit unfortunate that when I finished the mural, I think when I left to when I left Peterborough, I had a, a job in, in Birmingham um, as, a, as an artist too. Um, I took all the cartoons with the full-size cartoons of all the figures and drawings, there was scale drawings of the, the whole mural to the museum and gave it to the director then. And uh, he, he took them, uh, but I, probably he binned them because <laughs> they're not there we anymore, which is a shame really, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I thought, you know, someday you never know, just, you know. Also, I didn't want to carry all this stuff with me, but... They would have been really useful. It <laughs> 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 would be very, very easy then. <laughs> yeah. 
I was interested you were saying about how um, you were adding things as you were painting, where you didn't you didn't go in with a final drawing, where you add in characters as you were going along, right, as it was developing. Yeah, That's I mean, it's actually a, a sort of photographic mirror image of the street. Yeah. So then you have a reduced... So I kind of, I think I had to push it back to give, to give some kind of pavement space. Of course, in terms of vandalism, the figures are there really accessible. You know, you're not talking about figures that are really high, so everybody could access them if they wanted to. I try to remain this perspective. And if you're clever photographically, you can actually get this mirror image. You can even get the color of the sky in certain, that's Chris's job to go there and photograph it in the right day with the right lighting. You can almost get a mirror image, you know, of, of the whole thing. But of course, it's a different world that we're, it's kind of like a Barbie world of 1982, you know? <laughs> Talking of photos, Stuart, can you talk a little bit through about the process of getting the image kind of as ready as you could so the, the restoration could begin? Because it was a lot of work. Yeah, so we, uh, I think as you may have already mentioned, the amount of photographic uh, record that we had was quite patchy. Um, I think it was essentially made up out of a collection of like donated images uh, from the community. So they were all of different quality and obviously different times and um, different angles and things. So uh, you had a few close-ups and you had, you know, some distant shots, maybe there's a van in the way. So yeah, essentially it was just a process of sorting through all of those uh, images, um, cleaning them up where we could and just, just kind of mosaicing them really and just trying to create a, a complete uh, image which we then had to color correct quite a lot because obviously all the pictures are taken on different film none of them digital i, uh, I believe because we're not talking about uh, recently taken images these are uh, yeah um however many years ago now decades old photographs right um so trying to get a kind of consensus amongst all of us uh, as to what the color palette was going to be um, was kind of derived from as, as much as like, you know, what specifically what, what was actually in the mural itself. Because as Jason said, when we started the project, before the cleanup crew came along, and by the way, that was all done under scaffolding, which was wrapped. So right. like, we didn't see what the cleanup job was like until it had been all the scaffold and all the wrap was down and they'd applied like a stabilization uh, uh, chemical of, of some sort. That's when we saw how, how well it cleaned up, all that algae and all the film had taken off. Um, but up before that point, it was like, oh, you couldn't see, you could just, you can make out the flowers, you could see the rainbow, but like, really, there was just very little to go on. So, yeah, we just had to kind of like create a montage out of the uh, images that we had and kind of took it from there. And why do you all think it was so important to be that accurate? Like, yeah, why do you think it was important to be as accurate and have as much attention to detail as you did? It's because it's a restoration. Right, it's not an interpretation of anything. We're not trying to create new artwork here, right? We're trying to restore something that, um, that means a lot clearly to the people in the community, right? Um, but means a lot to the people involved, the artists who are restoring it. So, um, and because there's real, it's, you know, these are people, the, pe the people in the picture are real people. They still live here, a lot of them, right? 
So because it's a restoration, it is so important to get all of the details as absolutely accurate as we can to the original, um, because I think that's doing it justice. It's not our job to create an artistic interpretation of what was there, right? That's, the artist has already done that work. Right? We're just here to give it a new lease of life, to give it some more time in the sunshine kind of thing. And figures are hard, faces are hard, you know, recognisable faces mm. are pretty much the hardest thing you can paint. Yeah, on. sure. Yeah. It's not too bad. When, when I originally painted the faces, um, I think the following day, actually received some images and the faces looked totally different. And, um, you know, we were saying, yeah, it's okay, leave them, leave them, but I just couldn't, I couldn't leave them. So I had to paint over all the faces again. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things as well, um, one of our challenges was trying to paint, trying to keep it in your style as much as possible, because we all work in totally different ways. So it's trying to work it so that the whole thing still looks as if it's done, you know, comprehensively in that way. Yeah. In quite a claggy paint, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're using a special paint, not the oh, sort yeah. of yeah, lighthouse yeah. paint or something. Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, thing here because the cleanup crew didn't just, they didn't just like wash the wall or anything like that. Like they, they had a whole process to it. And right. as I said, it was stabilized. So, um, so it gave us, us a sound base to paint onto. But the paint that we're using isn't. We've never used anything like it. It's it's actually. It, uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but the point is, it actually bonds with the silicate in the, the mortar. So it's because it's lighthouse paint. It's not paint at all. It's water-based when you're painting. You yeah you're yeah. It's a water-based water. paint, yeah. but the way that it works is that it's 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 kind of like you're you're adding a layer of render. It literally mm. creates a chemical fresco, bond. Really. Yeah yeah with the wall. That stuff's not coming off, like... Anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah, yeah, it won't flake, it won't peel, it won't do any of that. It's like, it is, it is definitely... And is it varnish on top? Or? No, it no. doesn't need okay. it. It doesn't need it. You, I, 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 don't quote me on this. <laughs> but the, guy, the technical guys at the paint company told me, like, yeah, if someone spray paints on that, you don't need a protective anti-graffiti coating because you just wash that off because you can't wash that paint off because it's not paint. One of the problems we had as well was that there was limited colours, so it was very difficult to mix the colours. One of the worst colours to mix was the colour of the flowers, the petal. Um, we couldn't that get pink, that, yeah. that, that mm. pink, yeah. We just couldn't get it. It was, so we just had, rusty red, yeah, it was the only red. Yeah, red. the yeah. red was a rusty yeah, red. Yeah, because they're... they're it's a mineral. Um, they're mineral... Pig, uh, Base pigments. Yeah, 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 so it's... So the colour range was limited to, um, it, you know, what the sort of mineral compounds you get from the earth, right? So yeah, we had this really sort of red oxide. Well, the red. reds were very brown. They? They yeah, very, yeah, they were. Very dark reds, so we had to kind of... I used mostly just emulsion paints with some artists, acrylics, on, to get some of the colours, because what happens with the emulsion lasts very well, but some of the colours do fade quickly the blues are not really that good etc but that's the north facing world so i think that's why it's retained itself quite a long time otherwise i think it would have just gone in, in two years if the sun was on it all the time maybe all the algae that was on there kind of held it together for a while <laughs> <laughs> and um you've kind of touched on it a little bit already but um what was it like 
during the actual painting process? Um, how do people treat you? What kind of things did you get up to? Did you get any interesting stories? Tell us some of like, your best bits of the process of painting. Um, <laughs> I think one of, one of my memorable bits was um, a guy came along one morning and he, he you know, he called, called, was calling me and I was like, oh gosh, just leave me alone. I want to get on with this. I want to get some stuff done. And, but I went over and I chatted to him and the guy went off and brought us all breakfast, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the sort of things people were doing. People was bringing, bringing us ice cream. Um, there was a guy who almost every morning he'd bring us a cup of tea, you know, so people were really absolutely brilliant after they saw what we were doing. Yeah. It was quite unusual in that way, because quite often if you're doing a mural, you do get a lot of <laughs> not very positive comments. But <laughs> yeah. like most of the people who stopped by said really yeah. lovely things, mm. which really show, goes to show what the relationship to the mural was. Mm -hmm. My experience was like that from the beginning. Like when you start, you paint a decorator, as I said, and then the minute it starts to get interesting, people saw and talk. So much so that you hardly got time to work and everybody stopping bringing food, apples and, and things. Sometimes when you're starting, the only problem might be that the local Bobby comes and says, you know, I've got permission to do this, Sonny. And you go, you know, like, what, what do you think? You know, it's like if I was painting it white, would it matter, you know, whatever. But the minute something starts, and of course in 82, murals were kind of fairly rare, you know, so it would be, people would come, not just local people from, from, from other places and photograph it. And it would appear in a, so down the Daily Telegraph, a trip I did to Peterborough, I saw this mural, you know, this photograph of it, or maybe an advert. I don't think this one was used in advertising that much, but the others were. But people do respond in a very, you know, very uh, uh, generous way, because you would have thought also there would be a lot of agro. I mean, there was a bit of agro with the local dynamics of the people in the mural itself, with the, with the, because then the kids became, the mural became like a target for uh, expressing maybe some racial kind of tensions in the area. But overall, I think it's, uh, the, the local people were looking after it and cleaning it uh, uh, as much as they could. So it was very positive. I mean, I was out of here, you know, it's like... <laughs> I think, I think the positive response that we had while we were painting kind of showed how important it was to the area. You could tell <clears throat> that they, they wanted it to be restored and they wanted to see it come back to life again because it meant so much to all the individual yeah. people. A lot of their families were in there as well, so a lot of people were driving by and saying, that's your dad and that's, that's this family. And some of the original kids were there. And they understand the two girls in the mural are, are grandmothers. Yeah, it's, uh, somebody yeah. told me that. It's extraordinary, really. It's amazing. And Nath, how did it feel for you? Because obviously you didn't do the painting itself. You looked after these lot, but you did end up getting a little bit of painting done in. Yeah, I, I just I remember I remember the finish well. Like the finish felt like uh, I don't know it was overwhelming, weren't it? It was like, yeah. like yeah, yeah. That last day we had some unusual music on that was mm -hmm. going through all different multi genres. <laughs> the sun was out, and yeah, the finish was. I can't, I can't explain it, but it was like a moment in life. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's, yeah, something happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> that was the last brushstroke. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I think it. We, we literally all stood there and, and there was just this moment between all of us where we looked at the wall and it was as if, is it really finished, you know? And almost like we didn't want it to finish at that point as well. Really strange, really strange. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a testament to how well you all collaborated as yeah. well. Um, what was that like, collaborating? Because you're not 
really work together, all of you, or not in this way anyway? Not really, no. We've kind of done yeah. projects like in a similar area, but not yeah. like on one piece together. I think, I mean, for me, um, it was good because we all know each other, and but individually we got to spend different times, different pockets of times with each other. I spent time with Nate on different occasions. I spent a lot of time with Stuart and we spent different times together yeah. as well. And I found out that was really absolutely brilliant because we got talking about different things and stuff like that. And we, we all had different experiences at different times as well with, with the mural. So it was that, that, I think it was brilliant. And sharing technique as well and sharing feedback on what yeah. was and wasn't working. And you know, I think mm -hmm. the, the collaboration was a really upbeat, positive one. I think we all like, yeah. took each other's feedback really well. And it made it better rather than kind of concentrating on this is my bit or this is your bit or we, I think we all ended up getting involved in most bits. And Nate did actually get a brush and he did. Yeah, that was a new thing for me. <laughs> I've just, I've used a spray can for say 20, 20 odd years that I find it hard to just Go to anything else. It's, it's, yeah, it's what I know. That physicality. So, yeah, yeah. That's it. Not touching. I don't touch my surface. Like there's a physical, you know, my cans here and the walls here. Where it's like touching. It's like can't get made around that. Like, uh, so yeah, it was. I've got a bit of tutoring from Tony. And stuff. So yeah, it's, it's harder than normal paint as well, isn't it? So it's so yeah. thick and like the wall was so rough. So yeah. Kind of put it on claggy, and then the brush would just wear away. So it'd be like a stub of a brush mm. at the end of it. The paint was so chalky. Yeah, yeah. that's what I remember. It's like, it, it's like a <laughs> and that's paint. that's the point as well because we couldn't you couldn't dip the brush in water to to loosen it up because it once you wet your brush, you had to use a different brush. Yeah, we couldn't get water in the paint. Yeah, all. that was it. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, like yeah, water bad times for this stuff. <laughs> so yeah, you couldn't do any of that so it really, really is like painting a fresco it's really when it starts to you can only do it in sections yeah right? when it starts to right. react with the wall it's like it gets to the point where you, you, you feel like you're just literally plastering the thing like it's getting that thick and then you have to rinse out those brushes and we had like a whole circulation of, of brushes going on with um, you know, had some washing and then like you had let sets drying and then ones that were dry because yeah, as I said, like, um, and we had to be really careful of the weather because any rain that went on the mural, like, was it like half an hour? Like, you had like a half hour, hour window. Like, if, if it gets wet on the wall or if the humidity levels are too high, it can affect that chemical bond I was talking about and then you run the risk of it. Like, you know. So we were like really diligent about that because we knew that every precaution that we took and every like step that we we made that we're very particular about all of that meant that maybe this will have another year of shelf life on it like you know so but yeah the paint was weird to call it paint is not paint it's a very odd material <laughs> it was yeah I've actually got a little bit of the blue left on my desk. Oh, yeah. So if you want to take it back with you, I'll, I'll give you it. If they let you through customs, you can have it. After those great reviews, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth um, great. Um, so the final question I guess I have on here that is to you all, but we'll start with Francis. Um, well, it's a two-part question, really. I guess, firstly, what are your hopes for the future of that particular mural? But then more broadly, what do you think the role is the street arts plays in local communities and why is it important? Well, the role of the mural is, is, is set now, isn't it? It's a kind of definitely a historical 
piece in a way which took much to my surprise when they contacted me. I think you sent me an, e an email through Facebook and I, d I didn't see it for a year, a message or something. And then <laughs> I responded to you, I said, oh, it's okay, you've been, I thought, what's this? And, and I think you were the first one. And I don't know when that was, what, 2018, 17, maybe, I don't know. Um, but it's quite incredible that it's got this far and that you people have done a, this incredible job with it. I wouldn't do it, you know. It's like, I, I did it and I thought, I'm, I'm not going up there again to do it. And it's it's really weird to be like alive and seeing it, you know, because normally you're kind of long dead when something like this happens. So I'm, I'm very happy with it. Uh, the role of public art, well, we're kind of seeing it here. I mean, when I started, the term public art didn't exist. The term community art maybe had just about started. And I was very inspired when I first came to London in 73 by the, the purpose of artists who were working with the community. I hadn't experienced that before. And the idea of being an artist seemed to be one to just get self-glory, get your work in a collection, get it in a big museum. But then the idea of actually working with real people in a real space is so different. It's so, uh, it gives you so much purpose to what you're doing. And I was inspired by, there were early groups in London. There was one responding to America. There was one in America called Fine Art Group. And in London it was called the Fine Heart Group. And there was 395 and Colin is here, Linda, they're both, it's called 395, yeah? In Wisham in London. And this, these people were, came out of Goldsmith and just refused, I guess, to be like any other artist. 395 was the address, I think, of their, where they lived, or where they squatted, probably, I don't know. And it, it was an inspiration to find people who were trying to use the skills as artists to involving people to making statements, sometimes very hard political statements about nuclear threats and all this kind of thing. And there was a time, I mean, uh, not long before I started working for the corporation where mural painting was illegal. Some people had been arrested, like graffiti was in a way. And then it became, when I was asked by the corporation to be an artist, it was very much an exploration because nobody had done it not in, in Peterborough. Some of the other new towns had employed artists before. Uh, Glenn Rothers in Scotland. And uh, David Harding was his name. And he, was, he had come from, worked in Africa, a bit like a missionary. And he brought this idea of working in public, but doing a big range of things. Some with community groups, some with, by himself, some with other artists. And I kind of uh, tried that exploration. We did a lot of underpasses because nobody sees them, nobody cares. They're awful places. I worked with many groups with cadets and, I don't know, every group in Peterborough schools. We did this kind of projects. And they were very uh, liberating because, you know, nobody really cared about what the results was because the underpasses were such horrible places to go through. So to work above ground was actually quite, quite a privilege and to work on some real life projects and be invited as an artist to, to contribute, um, namely the, the Frank Perkins Bridge where I designed this, this uh, concrete relief, which I hope to do more of, but 
the chance never has really repeated itself because most contractors, an artist involved in the contract of a motorway is like crazy, you know, you can't have an artist involved in this because there's so money, much money at stake. And the timescale is so, is so uh, tight that the idea of having an artist, you know, coming in, it's problematic. And I think the history of public art has gone from a community involvement to then more like an agency thing where public art became an apparatus linked to real developments or any developments where they thought, okay, now we invite an artist or artist to propose something for outside of the building or a wall that the architect wasn't planning would be there. So then it started to get a bit, I think, mitigated by um, another kind of client. And the artist was again pushed back to where the artist normally is. It's like, we want a, we want a turd in the plaza, you know, can you do it for us? Instead of like, we would like to explore what art is within this community. Uh, and that, those opportunities started to recede, so much so that then I uh, started working with a, an artist group and we did the very opposite. We were called Fine Rats International and we started to do shows that just lasted one night in raw spaces. The biggest one was under Spaghetti Junction. If you've ever seen a picture of this 32-acre site where we brought artists uh, uh, from uh, international artists to work with us and everything had to be there and performing for one night and that is a different kind of public art just as exciting I mean some people say I like this this uh, shows has lasted one night and they asked me what you know after working a year and a half to make this happen and it's gone in one night and you go well it's a bit like a film you know you sit down film lasts two hours but you can remember the film. You don't have to live it. So this is the other kind of side of, of public art. I think all we need is a couple of riots and then the garden will start. I mean, that's what led to the, to the garden festivals in Liverpool was the, the riots of the 80s. And uh, I think it was, um, what's his name, Hesseltine, who came up with the idea of getting this empty industrial site, and there was so much unemployment, and turning it into a garden festival, which also incorporated a lot of artworks. Unfortunately, that's where the, the tide started to turn in terms of the artist then becoming again a, a servant of the, or being patronized by the, the commissioning bodies, rather than central to the community as before. But that kind of emergency really brought out a lot of public money because they realized they had to do something about it. And the garden festivals then were duplicated uh, all over the country as reviving um, dead industrial wastelands. Um, and I think that's always politically how th these things get done when there is a lot of unrest. They have, to, they have to do something about it. And it's kind of a bit ironic that the artist is there on the, the front line. When I went to Smedic, Smedic is on the outskirts of Birmingham. It's a really industrial city. It's where it used to be like the Silicon Valley of the Industrial Revolution, where everything happened. But when I arrived there, it was in total decay. And uh, most people were unemployed. There's, there was a, a very diverse community. A lot of the, the older uh, residents or traditional residents blame the new 
uh, or newish uh, uh, diverse communities being the problem. And the place I was actually, my studio in the high street was actually uh, featured in a BBC film of Malcolm X visiting the area. And he's actually in front of what became my studio. Uh, the BBC brought him on a visit to, to England to Smethwick because it was one of the areas of that racism was rife. So much so that the Conservative Member of Parliament had a slogan, a public slogan, saying if you want a n- for a neighbour, vote Labour. That's, that was 19-whatever, 64. Um, uh, Malcolm X was assassinated two weeks after arriving there. So in that context, and in the de- deprivation of the unemployment in the 80s, to put an artist there is <laughs> quite something. It's like, hello, I'm here to fix your problems. And this, it's a very weird way of, of being as, as an artist to be somehow having uh, uh, funding, not a great funding, but some funding, and working on behalf of, of people who are really destitute. And the last thing they need is art, in a way. You kind of go, you know, that's, yes. <laughs> um, And of course, you also realize that the art given as part of a bigger regeneration can really um, uh, create a much better community, can communicate in a way that other things can't in some ways. Um, so I think it's possible. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but uh, with Peterborough Presents in terms of what the future holds. Yeah. Anyone want to take that next? Uh, yeah, yeah, I will. I think we've got more public art in Peterborough than we've ever had in its history. And, and I've, I've built... I've built a great support network of, of people. I, I have no idea who a lot of these people are, but I get the most wonderful messages, love and support for doing stuff in this city. And where it kind of changed for me was, God, it'd be about 20, 2019, I think. I've done a couple of paintings down Taverners Road. And there, there was, I was just painting in public, um, sort of coming to the public eye a bit, painting, but, Painting paintings in public, didn't think too much about it. Just doing sort of stuff that I felt was right. But I got stopped upon painting on the end of Taverners Road and a gentleman said to me, he said, thank you for making my area beautiful. And it's like, like we had a hug and it was like really surreal emotion. And it's like, I felt so much passion from this guy I've never met because I was making his area look beautiful. And it's from that point for me, it was like, I want to do art for people that like, because I, you know, I grew up in a council state the other end of town. I would have never paid to see art as a child, like, like, or in my family, it was just not so much, no interest whatsoever. And it really got me thinking, there's a lot of people that can't afford to see art, they're priced out of it. So it's like, I want to part art in the street where people can engage with it. And, um, and then, yeah, six, six years on, I've probably painted more stuff in Peterborough than anyone in its history right now. Like, <laughs> like I think I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can say that, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it's and, we're, and you know, we're, we're building upon that. We've got support here. The, we're doing some bits of the council. You've had more hugs than anybody in Peterborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's been, it's been weird. I, I get loads of love, get a little bit of negativity. But, but gem, generally, we've got masses of support for public art in this city right now. And how is it working today? Do you need permission? Do, do you need funding? Yes. Uh, 
yeah, permissions can be difficult. Oh. A project mm. I've just done with a council, it took over a year, lots of documentation to paint a wall. If I go to a private owner, I could pay it in a matter of weeks. So sure. private, like generally privately owned buildings are a lot easier. But anything that's, you know, government owns council, it can take forever to never happen. So they did ask me, oh, how am I painting? So I was like, they're privately owned. So you can't do anything. And they just didn't have nothing to say. So, so, but then, you know, I always say like, read social media, speak to the public. People enjoy seeing it. People enjoy engaging with it. It's, it's making the city a more pleasant place. So what, what is there to, what negatives are there? There, there isn't any. So yeah, the only problem I have is coming from a graffiti community. Some of the people in that community aren't the most pleasant people and things can, things can go wrong. So, and it's like purely because of that background. So, yeah. So that, other than that, we're, we're in a good place right now. So. And it's a graffiti scene quite, quite alive and kicking as well. Yeah. Street art. So you moved a little bit away. It, yeah. I yeah, mean, your work is much more monumental, so, less about. Yeah. So, so now I, I wouldn't call myself a graffiti artist anymore. I call myself a street artist. Graffiti and street art, two different cultures. Street art was born out of graffiti. Graffiti is the more rebellious side. Street art is art in the street. Um, graffiti culture is full of ego. Uh, it, it, yeah, it can be very toxic, very, very toxic. So I'm trying to distance myself away from it, but because that's where I started, I still get pulled into things. And, but uh, I mean, in, in the UK, street art as an industry, multi-billion pound industry right now so uh my friend 10 years ago quit his job started one of the first street art companies in the uk made they did very well they, that eventually collapsed with differences between them since then there's there's a number of instances uh, enough a number of companies um, and i guess i, f I think I, I created the first street art company in peterborough um and we're still it's our eighth year today so eight, year, uh, eight years in business today. Which, um, you know, growing up and, and essentially tagging and stuff like that, like I never knew there was any possibility that this could be an industry. I never knew that people would want to see art. Yeah, it's, the, the world's changed it for, for lots of positive reasons. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Any final thoughts from any of you, Doc? Yeah, I just wanted to mention Katie, Katie Scott, the artist mm. who can't be here um, today because it was the first time I'd worked with her, met her, probably goes for most of us. And Nate mm. basically just said, I know, I've met this girl, she's amazing, she's brilliant. Katie, she, we've got to have her on this project. And she absolutely was and is. Yeah. And mm. uh, she very shortly after that went on to Manchester, didn't she? So yeah. She's not around mm. anymore. But yeah, Katie's, oh, she must be. 20, 26, 27, one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life. So I moved, like, I met her a few years ago through a job, not doing any painting. She was fitting a, an artificial tree into a room. Through lockdown, she started using spray paint. We re-met. Um, within 12 me months of meeting her, I introduced her to a guy who had a gallery, buying paintings from her. Um, since then, quit her job, moved to Manchester. Um, very successful female young artist and just sort of taking over. Um, but yeah, 
What's nice about watching her development as well is that um, she was just doing dual-tone work at first, and now the work that she does within a space of a year, yeah. two years, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's really talented, yeah. yeah. It's interesting also how graffiti has made that big step into the collection world and the museum world. I thought it was a kind of a conspiracy to kill it totally because if you can why do it on the wall you know you can do it on a canvas and sell it you know um and it's sort of in a way becomes something else but it's also validated the earlier graffiti uh and those are those artists have become also extremely famous i mean you know i don't have to mention names to you but um so it's become yes it's become a, a valuable in, in every aspect it's not just public art but it's also a, a, um rightful place in terms of art history yeah i say i get asked a lot of times like do you people is it about painting the street do you make money from this and it's just like yeah we've we've increased turnover for eight years straight and the biggest the biggest company in the uk um a company based in london called global street art they're like a seven figure ridiculous operation like yeah they're, they're, they own the market and but it's like yeah they're a they use spray cans and paint massive murals. It's it's a it's a, it's a big industry now. Like so the last few years, but it's social media. You know, well, people will it. always ask you that question: Do you yeah. make money? Even yeah. even now, you know, yeah. you're saying I'm retired, but they always ask you: Do you make money? Doing <laughs> so, this? Yes. <laughs> I think I think yeah. Well, I, I would like to. I, I wanted to be an artist, but you couldn't make a living doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, the debate I've had with a few corporate places is like. When, when you say you're an artist, they don't want to pay you, but it's like, you, you pay a painter and decorator, but you don't want to pay an artist because I'm painting a picture. Yeah. So it's like, it's a trade, the same as any other trade, but we pay pictures. So I like, like, but it's like, yeah, painting and decorators will pay them artists, oh, we don't want to pay for that. So, but it's, it's, I feel like as the industry's evolved, we've got more critics, like, well, it's easy, it's easier now, I feel, to get taken seriously. Particularly for us, like yeah, we we our growth rate, like it's like people take us seriously now. So, but it took years of getting. I'm doing something that I never ever dreamed was possible. Never dreamed of being an artist. Dreamed of like my my last job. I did health and safety, and I thought that was my career for the rest of my life. <laughs> and um, I was going to paint art at the weekends because that was my hobby. And then here I am. So yeah. As a final thought before we round off and let everyone, what would be then your piece of advice for anyone that's thinking of a career or paid stuff? How did yeah? What piece of advice would you give to anyone that's maybe starting out? And that's to all of you, but start with you, no. Oh. Oh, I always say, so yeah, I've done a few talks to young people in the last few years and I always say, it's probably not what you want to hear, but I say, don't do art to make money, do art because you love it. And it's like, if you can make money, great, but finance shouldn't be your driver. It's like, I never did this to make money, did it because I loved it and that bit happened. But if you do it to make money, you're going to fall out of love with it. It's, it's, not, it's not a job, it's a passion, it's a life. It's something you do, so. Well, the other side of that, is like don't give up Mm -hmm. don't stop doing it because that's why people can't make money doing it right yeah it's because oh this is too hard it's risky like like i've had i've had years i've earned like nothing you know but uh like you said i can't not be an artist it's not 
like, okay, so I'm, I'm doing this anyway, all right? You, you do it long enough and you keep going, you know, eight years later, you're going to be this guy over here, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, don't stop, don't quit. Mm, you hear that, Nathan? I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, thank you, everybody. I think because of time, I'm conscious that I want to give some decent social mingling. So if you do have questions, feel free to come to this lot and ask them directly. Um, and yeah, so we're just going to wrap up now. Feel free to hang out for a bit. We're going to head over to the mural for those that want to but most importantly because we are a funded organization it'd be amazing if you could please fill in an evaluation form before you leave to help us get more money to keep doing this kind of thing as sarah dances them at the back to remind me thank you sarah <laughs> All right, I hope you've enjoyed that and thank you all so much for coming. And can I give all of these like a massive round of applause please? <laughs> The Millfield Link Project and the restoration of the Link Road mural was funded by Arts Council England, National Heritage Lottery Fund and Peterborough City Council. More information can be found about the mural's restoration, the various artworks created through the Millfield Link Project and other things Peterborough Presents are up to on peterboroughpresents.org. <laughs>